Welcome to the Old Galway Diary Podcast. Each week, Tom Kenny and I, Ronnie O'Gorman, write a column in the Galway Advertiser. Before it goes to press, we contact each other and share what is filling the page that particular week. This podcast is that conversation. And I would add, we enjoy talking to you and would appreciate if you would give us a rate and review on the Apple Podcast app. Tom, good morning on a beautiful, beautiful autumn day. How are you, Tom? I am wonderful, Ronnie. Thank you. <laughs> I'm looking up at fluffy clouds in the sky, uh, uh, and it's a sign of a good day to come. It certainly is. And anyway, you're an old romantic, and you love those kind of fluffy clouds. I do too, and I love this, this extended summer that's happened to us. It's like a gift. It's just beautiful. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was driven through Galway yesterday, and everybody looks so relaxed, still enjoying the sunshine, still having fun, and uh, the students haven't come back yet. So there's a feeling that the town belongs to ourselves. The, stu- the students haven't arrived. It's just Galway people that are there, thoroughly enjoying themselves, and it's lovely. And it's the time yeah, of- that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Anyway, Tom, I was just thinking over our conversation last week, and uh, you made a very good point to me that I thought about afterwards, was the fact that, um, what should I say, that this is a time of year when Galway hasn't really settled down into one way or another. It's just not quite a student town yet. It's not quite uh, given over to the visitors yet. It just still belongs to ourselves, as I was saying. And I just have this lovely feeling that there's nothing like Galway when it belongs to ourselves. It's The streets are less yeah. crowded. There's no trouble in cars or cycling. And it's just a very attractive place to be. And you made a point that, you know, Shop Street hasn't remained the same by any means over the last 40, 50, 60 years. There's constantly new shops opening, old shops closing. And I was thinking, as well as thinking that, <laughs> the treasure chest, one of my most favorite shops in Galway. Lovely, yeah. lovely treasure chest run by Mary Bennett and her lovely husband, Eddie, for many, many years. This is an extraordinary shop and it's right at the top of town. It used to be Glynn's shop, Glynn's toy shop, which you've written about. And then Mary took it over and she did the most fantastic job of it. It's hard to describe it because nowadays tourist shops are full of tweeds and they're selling bonines and they're selling cardigans and jackets and tam shanters and things like that. Mary went for the other end of the tourist market. Beautiful, beautifully made Irish produce, uh, very fine ornaments, you know, attractive things that you'd be proud to have in your house. She's a wonderful collection of crystal, of course. I know people don't buy crystal the way they used to, but Mary used to have the most amazing display of crystal. It was just a wonderful shop. And Mary was a great, great shop owner i mean she'd open late at night if i know for a fact that if a if a bus tour was leaving early the next day you need only phone up mary and say mary 
we're leaving Galway at six o'clock tomorrow. Any chance you could open your shop tonight for the passengers? <laughs> and of course she would. And she'd be the heart and soul and they'd have a great fun. They might even have a cup of tea as well. But I mean, she was just such a great person. I'm very fond of Mary. Anyway, the shop has been sold. Yes, it's very sad. I think uh, it's, I have no idea what's coming after it, but uh, it's certainly going to have a big impact on the street. Uh, because as you said, not only did she decorate the inside wonderfully well, yeah, yeah. but the facade is pretty unique as well yeah, yeah. and adds greatly to the character of the street. So, no question. But I agree, Mary has been a very dynamic person, uh, always, you know, <coughs> calling, shouting out for Galway, always, constantly, yeah. uh, and willing to work for others as well, you know, wonderful okay. member of the Chamber of Commerce. When in the late 80s, Galway went for several years to Boston with um, a group from Derry and organized trade fairs, she she represented everybody there, whether we were from Galway or Derry. Uh, but certainly Galway shouted very loudly for Galway. And yes, she will be missed. William Street will be much quieter now. There's no, there's no question. And <laughs> she always looked so nice and so glamorous and she was so wonderful. In fact, she was at the core of, um, you know, tourism when it began in Galway in the late 50s and 60s. There was an amazing man, Tom. Now, I didn't, I don't think I ever met him. A young manager of the Great Southern Hotel, a fellow called Brian Collins. And I don't know if you ever met him, but he was a I did. Absolutely magnificent man. And he got together a sort of a cabaret in, in the, the Great Southern Hotel. Names now that you that you will know, there was uh, Pascal Spellman, Michael Crockwell, Dermot Murray, um, and a group of businessmen, and of course, Mary. And they had this cabaret in the Great Southern Hotel, which was a huge success. They'd have it two or three times a week. And it was really the beginning of sort of hotels cabaret. And I was at it once or twice. And of course, you'd be double dub laughing. I mean, Pascal Spellman was one of the most natural comedians I ever met. Absolutely wonderful. Mm -hmm. I don't know if, yeah. if you... I don't know if you ever caught the show. It was just wonderful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And Brian started the Oyster Festival. Well, that's very true. He really it was his idea. Yeah. 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 <laughs> now, this Oyster Festival was very modest. Uh, I, I remember being going out there as a young journalist. Good Lord, sure. I hadn't a clue what was going on because I didn't like oysters. I like them now, I can tell you. But I didn't like them then. It really began in Paddy Burke's. Do you remember that little wayside pub? I do. I do, yeah, yeah. Um, Paddy Burke was a was a born mine host, welcoming people in at the door, giving them plates of oysters. Princess Grace of Monaco, it was her favourite stop. She would pull in there in her driven car and have a few plates of oysters. I mean, it was just such a famous place. And yeah. gradually it grew and grew and became a major international festival, as it is. Indeed, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was lovely. But going back to Mary... Mary's first job in Galway, she came from Clare. Now, I've written about Mary lots of times, but you don't have to write about Mary. If you appeared in a room where Mary was, she'd come straight down to you and she'd talk to you and she'd say, how are you getting on and what are you doing? And immediately she brought you into what the core of whatever group was there. But over the years, I, I gathered her story. She came in to Galway from Clare and she was a uh, Miss... Miss Mary O'Donoghue at the time, I think. And she um, got a job in the Great Southern Hotel. And 
the Grayson Hotel was just about ticking over. Tourism in the late 50s and 60s was just about to take off. The war had been well and truly over. Uh, a lot of Americans had money. And these were the best kind of Irish Americans you can imagine. They loved Ireland and they loved the Great Southern Hotel and they loved Pascal and they loved all the crack and the fun. And they used to come back every year. But anyway, Mary was asked by Collins, would she ever run, look after the, the shop under the stairs? Now, it wasn't really a shop, I gather. It was just a kind it of... Was, a, oh, no, it was. Was it a shop? Was it a shop? Yes, it was a very small shop, but it yeah. was a shop. Yeah. Would, she, would, she, would she look after that? And, of course, she was only delighted. And over the years, she got to know the customers and she got to know, you know, what people wanted. But there's a great story. and Your family come into this story. Um, and Mrs. Alnott was a very wealthy Irish-American and a lovely woman. I never met her, but I heard nothing but good things about her. She was, oh, you should have met Mrs. Allen. She was such a friendly person, a bit like Mary herself, of course. But anyway, Mrs. Allen was walking through Galway one day. She was passing a shop called Kenny's Book and Print Shop. I don't know if you know about it, but that shop existed down in High Street. And um, she looked, was very taken with the prince, the Paul Henry Prince, not the paintings. If you didn't have paintings, apparently that time you had Paul Henry Prince. And she came back to Mary in the shop in the Great Southern Hotel and said, Mary, now I just want one of those lovely paintings of Paul Henry. I think they're the nicest thing I've ever seen. And I've been into Mrs. Kenny and they don't have the originals. What am I to do? I've got to have a painting. So Mary said, oh, she ran upstairs to Jerry to... Um, to Collins and said, what do we do, Brian? How can we get this lady, our best customer, how can we get her a genuine um, painting of what she wants of Connemara? So Collins said, i tell you what we do, go to Dublin immediately. You'll go to the big auctioneer's shops there and see if you can find any of the paintings. So off she goes. Two days later, she calls Mrs. Allnott into her shop and said, now, I have a surprise for you. I have three original paintings, Paul Henry, which I think you will like. And Mrs. Allmott was absolutely delighted. Well, she said, these are so good. Let me think about it. Put them up to my room till I have a look at them. So they went up and down to her room and they were hung on the wall. And they were taken out and they were put back. And she stood back at a distance and she came forward to look at them closely. She had a magnifying glass. And there was great excitement in the town. And I think your family were interested to know what's going to happen. What painting will she choose? And eventually, <laughs> before she went back to the States, she said, OK. And there was a little crowd there. I think your mom was there. She said, um, I tell you what I'm going to do. I can't make up my mind. I'm going to buy all three. And there was whoops in the hotel lounge downstairs. Everybody was delighted. They clapped and cheered. And Mrs. Allnott got three copies, of three paintings. And I'm sure she never regretted it. In fact, I spoke to Mary just the other day. Mary said she left the paintings to the National Gallery in Dublin. She didn't want to take them out of Ireland. So just a little story of how, how people can be fascinated by these pictures. Yep. Yeah, that's the business we're in. Isn't it a great business? Yeah, it is. Trying great. to fascinate people with paintings. Yeah, I know, yeah. without the money. So one, one. I don't want to delay you now, but i just tell you one other story. Uh, this is a story I've used in the advertising myself years ago because I thought it was quite good. So this very nice American family came to stay in the Great Southern Hotel. And they stayed two or three weeks. And they were all there 
two generations or three generations of Irish Americans. And they were having an absolute ball. And when a time came for them to go back to the States, the man of the family said, you know something? We're not going to go back. We're going to stay here another two weeks. But I want to see Ireland. I want to see it properly. I want to see it in comfort. Mary, and he called Mary over, do you sell Royce Rolls or Rolls Royces in your shop? <laughs> Mary, of course, collapsed on the ground and was picked up. She said, no, we don't sell them today. So, well, he said, I'd see if you can find me a Royce Rolls, Mary. So Mary ran off upstairs to speak to Brian Collins. Brian Collins said, yes, we do. Yes, we do. We, we'll get one. I'll get one from Dublin. Get, you have to go to Dublin immediately. Brian Collins made all the arrangements. And sure enough, but a week later, a Rolls Royce arrived. Uh, now, he had a choice. He could have bought it or he could have rented it. But anyway, it was outside the door of the Great Southern Hotel. Now, Galway had not seen many Royal Rolls Royces in its time, Tom. So there was a great crowd gathered outside and out came the American family, absolutely delighted at what Mary had done. And they said, yes, OK, we'll take it. Not only will we take it, Mary, but we'll buy it. <laughs> the, the, Dublin, the Dublin motor agent was only delighted. First time he ever sold a Rolls Royce in Ireland. He sold it under Mary's watchful eye in the Great Southern Hotel. Yeah. Now, that's all I'm not telling anymore. I'm not telling anymore. Promise. Now, <laughs> um, what are you going to show us this week? What will you add to our <laughs> library? Well, I am a long way from all the bits and glamour you've just been talking about. I'm, I am talking about primarily St. Patrick's Church and also part of Forster Street, where it's situated. <clears throat> when uh, a Father Bartholomew Roach, he was the parish priest at the time in the 1830s, when he began to build this church, it was almost out in the country. It was well outside the city proper. Uh, his parish extended from the West Bridge, that's O'Brien's Bridge, to Grealish Town. He had about 7,000 souls, and uh, at that stage it was known as Bovermore Parish. <clears throat> so he got his church built, and it opened in 1837. But a couple of years later, on the famous night of the big wind, which devastated a lot of places around Galway. A lot of uh, <coughs> clusters of villages, small villages like at Black Rock or at Rock Barton, all of the roofs were blown off the houses. They were all thatched at the time. Oh, I believe. Uh, yeah. It had a very major impact on Galway, but it certainly did on the new St. Patrick's Church because the roof was blowing up, blown off. And so... <laughs> The parish priest had to go off begging again, and he got it repaired. It took some time, <clears throat> uh, and eventually it opened in 1842. It was, as usual, blessed by the bishop. The parish priest said the mass, and the sermon was delivered by the famous temperance reformer, Father Theobald Matthew. Oh my so God. I wouldn't think there was too much wine served no. at <laughs> celebratory <laughs> lunch <laughs> after it. Anyway, the bishop uh, of the day in 1859, he invited the Jesuit order to come back to Galway. And when they did, uh, the parish priest offered them this church uh, and they ministered there for a number of years. <clears throat> but in the meantime, they were building their own church on Sea Road. And when they had that finished, they handed this one back to the bishop. Now, a very strange thing happens then. <laughs> 
the church grounds, there were a number of plots around the church. Uh, they were held on short-term leases from different parties. And when the leases fell in, the owners of the plot, in, well, the, in one case in particular, the owner of the plot in front of the church, he refused a renewal and he erected a wall, cutting off access, regular access to the entrance. So, unfortunately, the church couldn't be used any longer for its original purpose. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And for over 30 years, then, it functioned variously as a parish hall, a concert hall. Uh, evening classes were held there. It was a band room for a while and even a carpenter's shop for a while. <clears throat> anyway, in 1897, the bishop finally managed to uh, buy the plot in question. And so the church was renovated, a sacristy was added, and uh, in 1898, it was rededicated. There are beautiful carved angels on the top of the entrance pillars, and they were the work of a local stonemason, uh, Thomas Nugent from St. Patrick's Avenue. <clears throat> Uh, they It changed, uh, as you will see from the photograph I have in the paper, it changed in 1936, the top story of the tower, which is a square tower. Uh, it was deemed to be very unsafe. Structural falls had developed, and so it was removed. And uh, then in 1972, this church was uh, replaced by uh, the current building, which is a brand new Church, it is, it is just, lovely yeah, church. just to the right as you look at it from Foster Street. So, um, the like the old building looks very sad, actually. I have it to does, say, it does. I am yeah. honestly not sure what it's been used for, but we our photograph is looking at it from the Galway Clifton railway line, so it's from the top of the fair green, if you can imagine. Yes. You're looking down at a big wall around the fair green and quite a bit of Foster Street. And so we're looking at, for example, uh, an empty site that was later built on and occupied by a Mr. Izars, a piano tuner. I have no idea where he came from. <laughs> but the house next door, the three-story house, house next door, that belonged to Harry Clare and his brother Lawrence. Now, they were very famous. They had a stoneworks... <clears throat> behind the house uh, there, there's a big yeah. archway in the house which is what led you through to these works yeah. and uh, you know they could make celtic crosses headstones tablets vaults kirks in stone marble they would build tombs every description of stonework uh, they and lettering they were very proud of their lettering now the thing that intrigues me is this site actually was next door to the church now, I know I've already mentioned the angels that were on the pillars uh, at Foster Street <clears throat> being made by a man called Nugent. So maybe the parish priest was being very democratic and diplomatic <laughs> and wanting to give out the stonework to different yeah. people. But the Clares were very famous, and uh, the Dublin Builder was um, a very interesting magazine journal <clears throat> that came out monthly monthly. <clears throat> uh, in the mid-19th century. And in September 1859, it reported that inside the grand entrance to the Augustinian church is placed a holy water font of black marble designed and executed by a Galway artist, 
Mr. Clare. Probably one of the most splendid in any church in the United Kingdom. I agree. High praise, indeed. It's still there. It's actually still there. Yeah, it it has seen better days now, but it's uh, it's there nevertheless. Yes, and uh, and Mr. Clare, several pieces of his sculpture can be seen in uh, Fort Hill Cemetery. And the other thing is that uh, Clare Sheridan came to work there as well for a while. Um, Okay. Uh, so there was a house beside it, which was owned, a thatched house owned by Mamo Spellman. She had a sweet shop there, and all the local kids used to go there, especially when they saw Dean Considine in the vicinity, <laughs> because he had a habit of distributing halfpennies to the kids. <laughs> so uh, obviously he was like the Pied Piper anytime he was seen in the area. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that, that thatched cottage was subsequently demolished and it became part of the church grounds. Yeah. And then there are a few houses on the left of the church gate as we're looking at it, and we have names on those as well. And Good. then to go with this photograph, which dates from about 1920, I have another one of, from 1954, from May the 9th, in fact, 1954, and it's a group of about 15 mass servers from the church. And they were on their way out to... Ballybrit for Father Peyton's famous Rosary Crusade. Ooh. He had a big meeting there on that day. About 30,000 people were there. And yeah. uh, so there's all kinds of smiling. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. So that's me. That's me for this week. Two photographs. Uh, yeah. I remember I remember the stone yard there very, very well. Uh, Dennis Goggin, I think, took it over at some stage. I remember meeting, talking to Dennis, the stonemason there. Um, yeah, gosh, it's a nice little enclave in Galway. Uh, you're quite right. What is that old building doing still standing there? It kind of looks a rather sad 19th century edifice, doesn't it? That that really doesn't have a purpose for anything. No, no, it doesn't. I, do, I agree. I, the Incidentally, the house that was occupied by the Clares is now owned by the O'Brien family. So, uh, yeah. and it's it's still perfectly intact. It looks exactly the same yeah. as it did then. But I agree, the church is sad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I suppose it's going to stay there until uh, it collapses. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Like it seems to be used as a car park. Uh, yeah. The area around it. Uh, but anyway. I'm anyway, no, sure. no, it's very interesting because it's kind of a, a leftover, if you like, from previous dreams, previous development ideas that never yeah. quite came to fruition. And there it is. And the yeah. trouble in Galway, you know, you have something like that, Tom, and you, you get so used to it. You don't question it anymore, do you? You just accept No, that's yeah. right. Exactly. I you know, agree. We don't ask enough questions <laughs> yeah. about these things. But anyway, now, can you imagine the hullabaloo today if some local built a wall across the church and denied everybody entrance know, access to it, no matter what kind of a church it was, what religion it I was, know. you know. And imagine a church of all things, you know. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And this was, you know, <clears throat> just after the famine. I mean, yeah. Uh, so it would have been very important and significant yeah. place for the locals at the time, you know. Of course, of course. 
But Tom, that is just excellent. I look forward to seeing that picture. Now, I haven't seen it uh, to date. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I love these little stories that make me look again at a place that, you know, I've just taken for granted. And now when I'm passing it again, I look and I'll have much more knowledge than I had previously. You will, exactly. You. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, listen, let's let's enjoy the weather. And it's, as always, a pleasure to talk to you. Take care. You too, Ronnie. Yeah, God bless. Good luck now.